You're listening to the League Bound Podcast. Your source for weekly coverage on the future stars of the NBA. I'm your co-host, Jake Schrantz. And I'm your co-host, Brandon Blue. With production for the podcast coming from Broderick Wilkin. With the first pick in the NBA draft. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the League Bound Podcast. We are here for Season 2, Episode 1, and today we'll be on the podcast where we break down the best prospects and the rising stars of the NBA. I'm Brandon, and I'm here with Jake and Brody. How are you guys today? Man, Brandon, I am so glad to be back on League Bound for Season 2. It's going to be so great to bring this content back to everyone. Uh, Really excited to get things going yet again this year. Brody, how are you feeling? I am feeling great, mixing everyone together, making sure our levels are all right, because uh, our studio got a little bit of upgrade at the university, and uh, we're excited for it because it's helped me in a lot of ways uh, in setting up a little bit faster. So how about we get right into it? What do we got in store, Jake and Brandon? Negativity. 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 Well, well, first off, you know, we got to start with negativity. You know, it's been a while. Um, So Friday night, Damian Lillard in a close game with the Phoenix Suns went into overtime and time was winding down. And DeAndre Ayton was on the line to hit some clutch free throws. But Lillard came up, whispered in his ear, have you ever been in this situation before? And Ayton (laughs) just folded under pressure and missed his first free throw. Um, and I, that's just the cold-blooded mentality that I love to see in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, it's never going to be easy uh, in any game in the NBA. But when you have a young player like DeAndre Ayton having a superstar like Damian Lillard, who's been in those clutch time situations countless times, you can't really get under his skin. He's proved that time and time again. And he kind of flipped the script on DeAndre Ayton and just made him choke right there. The Weekly Takes. One of the first games that we had on Wednesday was the Paulo Bancaro versus Jaden Ivey matchup. And we got a little number one versus number five matchup. And I thought it was a pretty good game. I don't know about you, Jake, but Paulo Bancaro had a monster stat line. Uh, I think he broke the record for having 25 and 5 and 5 in an NBA debut, which is impressive. Only Kareem and LeBron have been up there. And Jaden Ivey also had another stellar performance, but the Pistons were the ones who ended up getting the win. But after watching that game, I want to ask you, who do you think is going to have the better career of the two, Paulo or Jaden Ivey? Well, I mean, just starting with these two guys that we're talking about, both of them on draft night kind of had a little bit of a shocking start to their careers because we, we weren't sure Paulo was going to go number one. And Jaden Ivey, a lot of people thought he was going to go number four and not slide to the Pistons at five. So just right off the bat, they kind of start off with a shock to the NBA season. But I feel like the way that Paulo is able to control the game with his rebounding and his playmaking, he's really comfortable with the ball in his hands. So it's really hard to say that Jaden Ivey will like significantly have a better career than Paulo right now just because of the way he impacts the game on offense in all three facets for the Magic. Mm-hmm. I do have to agree with you in saying that I feel like Paulo is the easy answer here. But I do think that in the long run, I could see Jaden possibly ending up with a better career just because I feel like in the long run, you know, say 20 years from now, when people are talking, I feel like they're going to value whoever has more rings the most at the end of the day. You see it now with people who played back in the 90s. 
And I feel like where it stands now, this might be a hot take, but I don't really care. The Pistons right now have a pretty solid young core. And the Magic have one too, don't get me wrong. But I feel like the Pistons, what they have now, it's set up right now more to last in the long term. And I think if Jay Nivey makes that superstar leap like he's projected to, and even if Paulo does have a good like MVP winning career, if Jay Nivey gets more rings and he makes a couple of all NBA teams and does finish like at least second in the NBA MVP, I think he might have the better career. But for now, I, I think it might be Paulo. But we'll see. And I also want to talk about some of the most underrated performers that we've had this week. Um, in terms of the NBA rookies, who do you think were some of the most underrated rookie performers for this week? I mean, the, the easy answer just has to be Benedict Matherin. He's averaging over 20 points a game, even over 24. And the Pacers are kind of a team that they have some question marks in terms of how good is this team really going to be. You have Tyrese Halliburton. He's obviously very good at that point guard position. They don't have Malcolm Brogdon anymore, though, as he's now in Boston. So they're kind of figuring out who's going to be these long-term players in the Pacers uniforms. We think it'll be Halliburton. And now apparently it might be Benedict Matherin, who's been arguably the most impressive rookie in opening week. Yeah, I, I'm definitely going to push that Benedict Matherin agenda all throughout the year. <laughs> he, those first three games, he's really impressed me. And even if he's not averaging 20 points a game, I think the way that he plays the game is just really entertaining. And I think that he's going to be... I think the Pacers, they really do have a good young core going forward with Halliburton, like you said, and the addition of Matherin. And they have Chris Duarte, as, as we mentioned before. And so I'm really happy about the Pacers. But another player I want to talk about is Christian Brown. And y'all might be like, oh, it's just a KU player. But no, when he was playing against the Warriors, he had a really good defensive uh, performance. And I think he kind of showed, like, he's not going to be somebody who's probably going to be a superstar all throughout his career. He's just going to be a guy who comes off the bench, you know, guards maybe the best player, hits a couple threes, and provides energy. And I think he'd already fit into his role well in that game Friday. And even after the game, it wasn't just like something that I noticed. Like the Nuggets organization after the game, they gave him the game ball and they gave him like the team chain that they give to their most important player after each game. And so it was nice to see him in his second game already getting that appreciation. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know about you, Brandon, but thinking Christian Brown already getting these big minutes in the NBA over his former teammate in Ochai Abaji, who moved from a team in Cleveland who probably a lot of people thought he would get some potential starting minutes at that three spot. And now he goes to a situation in, in Utah where he may have been projected even more minutes than he would have gotten Cleveland because of that Utah Jazz kind of tanking situation. But I don't think, has he played even any minutes in the NBA yet for Utah? I, I don't think so. And one thing I want to say about that is I don't think Ochai's at fault there. I think that because I think Utah, what they're trying to do right now is I think they're just trying to get up some of the trade value of some of their other guys so that way they can trade or trade for more picks and start to really tank for Victor. But I, I was thinking about that the other day, and I was just like, man, I know if Ochai were getting minutes, he would ha be doing the same thing that Christian's doing because I have no doubt in my mind that he's NBA-ready as well. For sure. But that just goes to show like how the NBA is really just about your situation and like where you are really affects how you'll do. Next up, we're going to talk about the 2023 
most likely the number one pick, Victor mm. Wimbenyama. Everybody's been talking about him all across social media. Um, and he's, without a doubt, one of the most interesting prospects that we've seen in a while. 7-4, can shoot and handle the ball, plays like KD mixed with Rudy Gobert. And so I want to ask you, Jake, who do you think or who would you like to see get Victor? Uh, well, this early in the season, it's kind of tough to gauge who are some of these teams that will be up at the top of the lottery because, I mean, early on you see teams like your 76ers who are 0-3, and, <laughs> and it's not like we really expect uh, Philadelphia to be in that running for Victor anyways. But you would think a team like the San Antonio Spurs, maybe the Charlotte Hornets if they start to fall off after losing Miles Bridges, uh, maybe a team like the Utah Jazz, like we talked about, trying to actively ship off good players at the trade deadline potentially. So all of those teams, there's really no team in the NBA that couldn't use Victor because of just his overall talent and kind of ceiling. But I think those teams are really the teams who are kind of going into the season already looking at, hey, we need to move some of these top players on our team to go get this guy. Yeah. I think another thing I want to talk about too is like, you might be the worst team, but there's a chance that you still won't even end up getting Victor. So it could be like somebody who ends up in the play-in or just borderline play-in team. And if, the, if it's somebody like the Pacers or somebody who already kind of has a young core in the making, like the Pistons or Magic, if they get either Victor or Scoot Henderson, I think both of those guys will be great. If they get one of those, I think that's really going to be scary, not only for their potential, but just for the league in general. And it's kind of rare to see some of these high-key outlets really focus on players before they even get into like their college-eligible season. Like You see it in the past with LeBron James when he was in high school. Saw it a little bit with Zion, maybe on SportsCenter Top 10 with some of those highlights, but even Zion didn't really get that much attention until he started showing out at Duke. It's yeah. pretty rare to see Victor, who had already been getting posted on like House of Highlights and Bleacher Report when he was like 16 years old over in France, just destroying people. I remember one of the first times I heard of Victor. It was it was that one-on-one -on -one video of him playing against Rudy Gobert, and I think that's when everybody kind of realized, oh, when this guy comes around, he's going to be an issue. And then I remember seeing stuff last year as well. Like It was like when this guy's draft class comes up, we know he's going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I actually have a question for you guys regarding Victor Wimbanyama because he is insane. Uh, <laughs> and I think this is probably pretty obvious, but is there, to you guys, a single team in the NBA that would pass on him if they got that first overall pick? Like, let's say they have like talent at that position. Uh, in my opinion, I don't. I don't think that's really a reality. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a good question. Like, you look at a team, Brandon, like the Thunder. I mean, you just drafted Chet Holmgren number two, but are you really going to pass up on potentially teaming yeah. up a Chet Holmgren with a Victor Wembanyama just because they're so similar? I don't know if you can do that. I feel like with Victor, too, he's a player, like, he can do so many things, so I feel like he can play a lot more positions, and he can fit into so many different roles. So I feel like just the versatility that he has, it makes him so much harder to pass up on. I, I can't even picture, like, say somehow, like, the Bucks or the Warriors end up winning the chip this year and they get the first pick. I feel like they wouldn't want to pass up on that just because it also sets up your future so well. I almost wonder, like, this would just not happen, you would imagine, just because any team would want to have Victor. But the team that wins that number one pick in this lottery, I wonder, like, 
would a team like the Thunder really just say, have the rest of our first round picks that we've traded for all these years? Would that even be enough for a team to move out? Because I feel like Victor has so much pull in terms of like how much money will come into your organization just by drafting him. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, a trade at number one would be crazy with this Victor Wembanyama class. But I mean, the, the amount of picks and players that teams would be willing to give up. I mean, star players like I guarantee you the Wizards would trade Bradley Beal straight up for the number one pick. And like that is that is an elite player getting traded for someone we've never even seen play in the NBA yet. Uh, Victor Wembanyama is literally the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory golden <laughs> ticket. Like, I'm not even joking. It's it's just insane. And I think uh, through the season, uh, you guys are probably going to continuously uh, talk about, or at least I know, uh, Jake, you're even on the fence saying he might be the best prospect. Uh, well, maybe not the best prospect of all time, but better than LeBron as a prospect. I mean, if LeBron is not the best prospect of all time, uh, he's got to be at least number two. And if Victor's better than that, I don't know where that puts him all time, but I would honestly, the way that he plays and his his kind of measurables that are unmatched in terms of prospects in the past, I mean, it's pretty hard not to say he's the best, he's the best draft prospect of all time. I would just like to say, if we're going to get into the greatest of all times, I think that just this class in general... The way it stacks up outside of Victor, starting with Scoot, and then you go down the list to guys like Derek Whitehead, Nick Smith Jr., Cam Whitmore, and of course the Thompson twins. Like The way this class is stacked up, they have so much star potential, and I think if you moved a lot of those guys around, they would be first picks in other draft classes. And so I think that just speaks to the talent as a whole of this class. And I don't want... Victor's great, obviously, like we know that. But I don't want some of these other guys in the class to be overlooked because I think that there's a lot of hidden gems in there as well. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. And I think if there was ever one year for a bad team to decide to fully tank, it would definitely be this year, like you talked about. This is arguably the best draft class of all time, potentially. And Adam Silver kind of got into that a little bit, talking about they're really working to figure out how to stop these teams from tanking for these top-level prospects. But, I mean, can you really stop these teams when you have a prospect like Zion Williamson or LeBron James or, like we're talking about, Victor Wembanyama, Scoot Henderson, others in this own draft class? There's really no way you can incentivize teams not to lose because, I mean, you can't force teams to get a certain amount of wins. That's just not how it works. Yeah, and a lot of these teams that are tanking, they just don't have the talent to win basketball exactly. games as it is. Like, namely the Spurs, like they have a few young guys, but outside of that, it's just like they're just not a good basketball team. So of course they're gonna, you know, they're gonna try to get Victor. And, and they're not even doing it like intentionally. That's just how it is. Yeah, and I don't know what options the NBA are looking at. Like some drastic ones would maybe be if they determine that this team like whatever team is tanking on purpose. Could they potentially make some sort of move where they maybe like discard your draft pick that you've been tanking for all year? That would be such a drastic yeah. change to the league if the if the league offices are able to just determine whether or not your team tried hard enough in the season. That would that would completely shift the NBA draft process as a whole. I feel like it'd be it start getting messy and you'd have to start looking into doing investigations mm -hmm. and those can take a long time. So even say like somebody does tank for that year, 
they might conclude the investigation like a year or two later and then they'll get their pick taken away after they've already tanked for whoever they wanted. So it's just like, what are they going to do? And when it comes to Victor, is there really like, wouldn't that be worth it? You would almost think. Yeah. Uh, then again, though, if you do tank, uh, you know, the, the the massive thing about the NBA that I always find so interesting is the fact that it is a lottery draft. You could be the worst team by far. No no other team is coming close to as bad as you are in a season, and you're picking five overall. Yeah. That's the most likely outcome. You look at the odds, it's around 50% if you're the number one pick to drop to pick number five. But like Brandon said, I agree with you really that this draft class is especially within the top 10 it is completely worth uh tanking for for any of these players because like you said most of these guys would be top five picks in really any other draft class so what even if you fall to maybe six seven or eight you're still getting a really good player and a lot of times those mid lottery teams have those young talent that are just waiting to develop and if you could add somebody like one of the thompson twins or Derek lively or nick smith i think your team takes a huge jump in the next few years We'll be moving on to a new segment this year called Welcome to the League, where we'll talk about some of the NBA rooks or new NBA players who are starting to make a name for themselves or had a solid performance. And first up, we want to talk about Keegan Murray, who didn't play the first game but made his debut Saturday against the Clippers and had 19 points, 5 rebounds, and 2 assists. Yeah, we just talked about Benedict Matherin not too long ago in his kind of impressive first week into the league, but... I'm excited for this segment every week just because we got to talk about these guys in full length all of last season, and now we get to kind of cover how they're doing in the league and what they're doing so far in their career. But Keegan Murray with 19 points, 5 rebounds, I mean 7 of 10 shooting as well. That's something we saw him do pretty much all of his college career at Iowa. Such an efficient scorer. I believe he was 3 for 6 from downtown. Really good shooter as a power forward, so I think the Kings got a good one. I'm rooting for this guy up in Sacramento because... We've heard in the media people talk about how there's a curse in Sacramento with all their draft picks. It just seems like they steady off after one year. But Keegan, I've listened to some of his interviews, and it seems like he reminds me a little bit of Tim Duncan because it seems like he's a guy who just shows up, plays basketball, and then leaves. And that's like those are the type (laughs) of players who I just love to see. Yeah, and on the court, sometimes Keegan Murray, not like maybe like star power-wise, but just his function and movement on the court almost reminds me of Kawhi Leonard, the way he's just so robotic on the court and just the way he just moves to spots, takes open shots, and just does everything right. He does such positive things on the court whenever he's out there. It's just like Kawhi, man. It's crazy. Can he stay healthy unlike Kawhi, though? That's the question. Well, that is the question, and Sacramento's going to need him because that front court with Keegan and, and Sabonis could be dirty but you're going to need them on the court. And now, moving into our segment where we talk about a little bit more of the college basketball prospects that we're excited to see in college. We're not really going to talk about Victor and Scoot and the Thompson Twins, but we want to talk about some of the college players who we think are going to have major seasons for their schools or even take some leaps up into that uh, higher echelon of the draft class this year. I'm going to start off by saying I am really excited to see Nick Smith and Derek Whitehead. Nick Smith is a uh, prospect for Arkansas, and they are a very talented young. Cle- young- they are a very talented young team this year. They had a lot of 
uh, incoming five stars this year. And Nick is probably my favorite of the bunch just because he reminds me of like a mixture of Cade, Cum- Cade Cunningham and Luca. If wow, yeah, I was I was thinking about this. I know I've in the past I've been a guy who's like, nah, we can't do these comparisons. But like <laughs> that's just what came into my mind when I was watching him. You know, he really thrives out in transition and the way he just makes plays for others and. The way he just makes plays for others quickly, and he's a good catch-and-shoot player. Not to mention he's also like 6'7", so that paired with you know, his basketball IQ, I think, is what really makes him special. Yeah, I remember watching in the summer and some of these off-season either scrimmages or just matchups with other teams. He really looks almost too big for the point guard position at times. Like I know you say he's kind of these top orchestrators for the for the Razorbacks this coming season but Nick Smith is going to be so hard to deal with for other teams in the SEC because not every team is going to have somebody that can that can guard on the perimeter that's that tall and long defensively especially because he's so fast with the ball I mean he could easily dominate just driving right to the hole yeah and I also like another thing I like about his game is a lot of these taller prospects even when they're guards it seems like you know, they just don't really have the shooting game down that well. But it seems like he's somebody who, correction, I don't want to say the shooting game, but just playing without the ball in your hands. And it seems like he's a player who can really shoot like and move without the ball when he doesn't, you know, have the ball in his hands. Like he can come off screens or if he's just sitting in the corner. And I think, because they're going to have Anthony Black, who's another good point guard that can facilitate. And I think having him alongside... uh a black will be really good for his game. And then the next player that I want to talk about for Duke is Derek Whitehead. I was watching some of his highlights, and he's probably, I want to say he's probably the best athlete in this class. Fast, he can jump. Um, actually, no, I don't want to say that because Scoot exists. But <laughs> but I do think he is one of the more electric scorers. I could see it being Scoot and Derek by the end of the season, uh, f- fighting for that two and three position. Um and he's also going to be teaming up with Derek Lively and uh, Kyle Filipowski. So he's going to have a lot of talent around him. And I think it'll be kind of a good measure to see how he's going to play when he's around other talented players in the NBA. Yeah, Duke is going to be fun to watch. They've got a lot of guys that, that I'm also interested in as well. Derek Lively being one of them. Uh, one of those, another just really talented and skilled seven-footer. He can play with the ball in his hands. He's good defensively. Uh, Duke under a new coach as well. No more Coach K there. So mm-hmm. how are they going to do in their first year with still featuring these kind of young prospects leading the way? Really excited about that. Yeah. Also, I want to talk about a player who's just, he's he's going to be a highlight reel every night, and that's Cam Whitmore from Villanova. That man is, I don't know what his height is, but I want to say he's like 6'9", and he's practically built like LeBron almost. And the way that he just moves with the ball in his hands, like he can take it off the bounce and then just, it, it's almost like Zion-esque, I want to say. <laughs> like, I think every game he's going to have a nasty poster. We're going to check Instagram and then somebody's just going to have, somebody's just going to have balls in their face. Like, that's just <laughs> what it is. That's just what it is. Oh my gosh. But uh, he's another player I'm excited. And I also think he's just probably a good defensive prospect as well. Because I think that's probably... He might be one of the better two-way prospects in this draft, and those are really high value. Would you compare him to maybe a more athletic Paul Millsap? Honestly, I think I could see that a little bit. Yeah, the way he, 
Because Paul Millsaps, he's kind of like that strong, yeah, that strong power forward. Yeah, that you want. and he has that he has that quick bounce too. So he's like Paul Millsap if he had a little bit more of a a quick first step. I'd say yeah. One of my other guys that I think is probably going to be one of my guys throughout the season for Kentucky is Antonio Reeves. He's a senior guard, uh, 6'5", 205, and he's not one of these freshman stars like we've been talking about for the last few minutes. Played at Illinois State for the last few years. Now in his senior year, getting his big shot for Big Blue. But, I mean, this guy shoots the lights out. We've seen it in in these preseason mm-hmm. kind of midnight madness scenarios in the three-point contest. Reeves is crazy. I don't know if he'll get into the starting lineup right away, depending on who they go to in that backcourt. Of course, Xavier Wheeler is going to be back there as well. So I feel like he may be the best shooter in the SEC, and he may not even be in the starting lineup for Kentucky. So that just goes to show how, how talented the SEC is. Yeah, that was definitely a, a major pickup. I'm not going to lie. I didn't know too much about his game, but as you said, we saw some of those preseason games, and he could he could shoot the lights out. And I think Kentucky, they were already a dangerous team before. I, they're going to have a fire under them specifically with how they went out last year and Oscar Shibwe coming back, who was player of the year. So I think Kentucky, right now, they're honestly my favorite to win, but we'll see how March Madness eventually, like, upsets all that and <laughs> ruins my prediction but and one last player I do want to talk about and yes another KU guy I know I know I know you're, you're biased Brandon I'm not I'm not I'm promise but <laughs> I just want to talk about this guy because I know we talked about Antonio Reeves but I think that this guy might be one of the purest shooters in the first round of the draft this year I was watching some Grady Dick film and I just really like the way that he plays the game and I think that his size and the way that he just shoots over defenders is something that is really going to make him valuable. I don't think he's going to be a superstar in the NBA, but I think this year he can be really pivotal to the Jayhawks' success. And I think a lot of how we're going to do this year is really going to rely on the way he performs because I think we need a little bit, even after our championship run, I think we still need a little bit more of a of identity right now because I feel like right now we just don't have those same guys that kind of, set the tone with us and I think his performance and his leadership that he'll bring will be really useful yeah and he's got a lot of shoes to fill I mean you lose Ochai you lose Christian Brown even McCormick he was really good in the final four for the Jayhawks so Grady Dick I mean he's an NBA level shooter but will he be able to shoot night in and night out in the big 12 that's gonna be the question we will see uh, I'd actually like to shout out Brandon a bit here. It's been like probably like 10 months since you made your uh, G League video. Yes. Uh, talking about the fact that the G League is going to start pulling uh, good prospects and talent from college basketball. And I think we can see that this year as I don't remember how many uh, G League players or G League uh, prospects are uh, in this season, but I know it's it's quite a few. Yeah. I, I would say it's at least as much as we've seen in the last few years and maybe even more led by Scoot Henderson. So big ups for the G League. We're big supporters of the G League Ignite here on League Bound. Yeah. Um, I just like to say even even in the, not just in the G League, but even in the overtime elite league, now they're starting to pour in more recruits because just this summer I feel like they signed Trey Parker. I know is a big name, but they also... They've signed a lot more prospects, not just in like this year's recruiting class, but in like the years going forward. So like 2024, 2025. So they're just 
they're really building a name for themselves. And I know a lot of people have mixed emotions, but I feel like in a few years, like they could really be a big thing competing with the G League and the NCAA. Do you think the Ignite could ever get to a level where they're just like absolutely demolishing the other G League teams? Uh, or do you think they'd make more uh, Ignite-like teams to make sure that doesn't happen? I think they will probably stick to one G League Ignite team just because they're never going to fill out, at least in these current kind of way that they build a roster. They're not they're not even trying to fill out a full roster of just NBA prospects. They need those those veterans to kind of uh, influence their, their decision-making on the court, help them learn how to play basketball at a professional level, uh, on and off the court as well, handling money and stuff like that. But I feel like it's just to their best benefit to kind of limit to just one team. So you can bring in more prospects than they have been doing the last few years, but splitting it up between two teams kind of makes this weird dichotomy between who are we really supposed to be looking at as these top prospects because it's kind of going to be eating at each other and making it less enjoyable to watch. All right, and then just as we wind down today, talking about the prospect breakdown, we're kind of leaving it open for for the listeners and the viewers this week because it's still preseason. Still a lot of guys haven't really got to show their skills on the court in the actual game yet. But, I mean, we could do Victor Wembanyama, Scoot Henderson, maybe the Thompson Twins, Nick Smith from Arkansas, like Brandon was talking about earlier. It's going to be up to you guys. So comment down below or respond in the poll on Spotify if you're listening there, uh, and we'll get that done for you. Yeah, thank you guys for listening to another episode. And there's some big things coming this year, so stay tuned. And make sure you follow us on social media. You can follow me at Jacob Schrantz on Instagram and Twitter. You can follow me at Brandon.Blue on Instagram and Twitter. And you can follow me at Broderick Wilkin on Instagram and at Brody Wilkin on Twitter. And also uh, Broderick Wilkin on YouTube. And make sure you follow LeagueBound on Twitter. The LeagueBound podcast now finally has an official Twitter. It's at underscore LeagueBound underscore. Make sure you follow that. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be putting some content up on there as well. Thanks, guys. We'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> It'll work. We'll roll it. Good stuff, guys.